Good morning. Welcome to our 11 o'clock worship sermon. I'm Stephen Azera, the teaching pastor of Calvary Baptist Church here in Phillipsburg, Kansas. Uh, during the 11 o'clock hour, we are going through uh, the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, we are in 1 Samuel chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 9 through 20. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give to him, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> According to God's law, the nation of Israel must appear before the Lord at an appointed place in order to worship him and to offer sacrifices. Then, once the festival is over... The entire nation would then participate in a fellowship meal. Chapter 1 of Samuel describes Elkanah being obedient to this law. He brings his wife Hannah, who is barren. He brings his second wife, Peninnah, who had many sons and daughters. They leave their home in Ramah, and they travel the thousand miles to Shiloh, which is the appointed place for worship. During the feast, since Hannah is barren, Peninnah mocks her and it annoys her. After the feast is over, Hannah retreats to the temple in order to spend some private time with the Lord. The scripture says that while Hannah is at the temple, she begins to weep bitterly and she prays to the Lord. She makes a vow to God and she promises him that if he would grant her a son, she would dedicate him to the service of the Lord all the days of his life. But this prayer is inaudible. The petition is made in her heart. Although her mouth is moving, no words are coming out. So Eli, the priest who is serving in the temple, he thinks she's drunk. But Hannah assures him and says, I haven't had anything to drink. I've been pouring my heart out to the Lord. And she tells Eli of her desperation for her son. 
And Eli responds, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. So Hannah leaves, and she is confident that God will grant her request. And she was right. According to scripture in verse 20, Hannah received and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. First she said, I have asked him, I have asked for him from the Lord. For the next two weeks uh, at the 11 o'clock service, we are going to examine the doctrine of prayer. Uh, here in chapter 1 and then in chapter 2, Hannah makes two separate prayers. The first prayer, in which we just read here in chapter 1, is a prayer of petition. She asked the Lord for a son. But in chapter 2, Hannah makes a prayer of thanksgiving because God answered her prayer and granted her a son. So over the next two weeks, we're going to examine the doctrine of prayer. A Christian's foremost responsibility should be seeking to grow in the grace and the knowledge of God. That's our main priority. It may come as a surprise, but your main priority is not your spouse. It's not your job. It's not children. It's not sports. It's not friends. It's none of that. Our main priority is understanding or seeking how we can grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. Mark this scripture down. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. The Apostle, Paul, the Apostle Peter says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. On several occasions and in so many words, Scripture urges Christians to make their election sure. Scripture encourages us to, to have confidence in our salvation, to know that we are saved and redeemed from our sins. But how do we know that we're saved? How do we know that we are truly believers, that we are sincere in our faith? How do we know that our sins have been forgiven, that Christ died on the cross for us, that the atonement has been applied to our account? How do we know and how do we have confidence that at the end of this life, we will be immediately welcomed into the presence of the Lord? How do we know these things? And the scripture says we have confidence in these things because we steadily grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. Throughout our life, especially the Christian life, we make progress, we advance, we don't remain in the same place or in the middle. Neither do we fall backwards. Keeping the same status is just as dangerous and fruitless as falling backwards. Like we have to understand that. Uh, keeping the status quo, remaining the same, having the same knowledge, having the same understanding, never growing, never advancing, is the same dangerous and fruitless as falling backwards. 
we gain confidence that we are truly saved by experiencing the fruit of sanctification, by progressing in holiness. Are you making progress? Are you advancing in the faith? Or as Peter says, are you growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Well, yeah, I think I am. But how can I be sure though? This is how you are sure. This is how you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You participate in God's means of grace. There are things that Christians can participate in so that God will impart to you more grace and more knowledge of Jesus Christ. There are certain practices or spiritual disciplines that will benefit you and they will cause you to uh, be strengthened in your faith. These certain disciplines will, will give increase of God's grace and knowledge. You see, God doesn't want his people to remain idle in the faith. God desires for us to grow. God desires for our faith to be strengthened. Well, how does this happen? By participating in God's means of grace. Well, what are God's means of grace so that I can be strengthened in my faith? Prayer, scripture, and the sacraments. Well, how does prayer, scripture, and the sacraments grow me in my faith? How, how do these things strengthen my faith? Well, let's start with scripture. Listen to what the scripture says about itself. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. According to scripture, when you sit under the teaching of the word or you sit under the reading of the word, God imparts faith to you. A benefit of listening to scripture, of engaging with scripture, is faith. Because scripture says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Listen to Hebrews chapter 5 verses 11 through 14. About this we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. See, you've, you've gone backwards. You, you, you've not progressed in the Christian faith. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature for those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Did you get that? Write that verse down and go back and read it. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. According to this passage, the ability to discern good from evil, the ability to do this consistently comes from Reading and hearing the scripture. Or as the Hebrew says, from eating solid food. And so as you and I engage with scripture, God imparts to us grace. 
imparts to us knowledge. He gives us wisdom and discernment. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. The apostle says that the word of God is nourishment for the Christian like milk is nourishment for a newborn infant. How essential is milk to a baby? Yeah, it's life. Without milk, the baby won't live. And so Peter makes the connection with our dependence upon the word of God. We need it. It's our source of life. It's our source of nourishment. And so as the Christian engages with the scripture, God in turn imparts grace and knowledge and discernment and faith whereby you advance, you make progress, you pursue holiness. Colossians 3.16, let the word of God dwell in you richly. Let the word of God have its full effect on your spiritual life. Whenever we sit under the teaching of God's word, or even when you read the scripture in your own private life, God strengthens your faith every single time. You grow in the grace and knowledge of God every single time. You know how many times I've heard someone say, man, I, every time I read this passage, I come away with something more. Yeah, we do. Because it's God's grace. But here's the caveat with God's means of grace. They must be accompanied by the Holy Spirit. Simply reading scripture, simply being taught scripture, you know, going to church and listening to the preaching of the word, just doing that doesn't cause your faith to be strengthened, right? You can, you can put the Bible in the hands of an unbeliever and, and that unbeliever can read it every day for hours at a time, but unless the Holy Spirit is present, scripture isn't a means of grace. Scripture can only be a means of grace if it's accompanied by the Spirit. The same principle applies to the sacraments. According to Scripture, we have two ordinances in the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And when we participate in these two ordinances, and again, the Holy Spirit is accompanying these ordinances, we grow in grace and we grow in knowledge. Let's take baptism for example. Our baptism is the physical sign of God's spiritual promises to us. What are God's spiritual promises to, to us? Regeneration, the forgiveness of sins, the washing away of the old life, the raising up of the new life. All that is done by the grace of God. These are all promises of God. God promises that when you come to him, he will regenerate you. He will wash away your sins. He will wash away the old life. He will impart to you new life in the place of the old. And this is what our baptism illustrates. It illustrates that grace from God. So when you remember your baptism, you remember those promises. When you witness someone else getting baptized, the Holy Spirit will remind you of your baptism. And as he does that, that faith that you were given is strengthened, it is advanced, it pursues holiness, it is sanctified, 
It is uh, progressing all because of the power of the Holy Spirit engaging with you. Your faith is strengthened. It is fortified. The same thing about the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper points to a greater picture. What does the Lord's Supper illustrate? The death of Christ. The forgiveness of your sins. The substitution of Christ. The satisfaction of God's judgment. Right? All these things is what the Lord's Supper illustrates. So when you eat the bread and you drink the cup, the Holy Spirit, who is spiritually present, engages with you. And while you sit underneath the Lord's Supper, the Holy Spirit is imparting to you spiritual blessings that strengthen and fortify your faith. Think about the night when Jesus first instituted the Lord's Supper. It was the same night that he was betrayed. He took the cup. He took the bread. He blessed each element. He commanded the church to observe this ordinance until the end of the world. But because of what the bread and cup represented, the Lord's body and his blood, the forgiveness of sins, it's more than just a memorial dinner. It's a supper that illustrates a bond that we have with Christ. Right? He's, he's giving himself up for us. It's a union. The Lord's Supper is a picture of our union with Christ. But it's also a pledge with him. Christ promises to forgive give us of our sins. Christ promises to drink this cup and to eat this bread with him again in the future. So the Lord's Supper is more than just Christ dying on the cross. It's a union. It's a pledge. And as you drink that cup and you eat that bread, the Holy Spirit takes that memorial dinner, the promises that are attached to it, and he uses it to strengthen your faith. It's more than a meal. Scripture is more than just words on a page. When the disciples are joined together with faith and the Holy Spirit is present, these disciplines become means of grace whereby our faith is strengthened, it progresses, it is fortified. Why do you think condemnation is levied against the one who neglects Scripture? who neglects the Lord's Supper, who neglects baptism. And we can add prayer to this group. The scripture says, all those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We call upon the name of the Lord in prayer. This is an empty speech. These are not empty words. When the Holy Spirit is present in our prayers, a prayer is a time for us to communicate to God. And through the Spirit, God communicates back to us. And I'm not referring to an audible voice. I'm talking about the Spirit of God bearing witness with our spirit. It's inward. What the Holy Spirit says to us is not heard by the ears. It's received by the soul. 
And this is a means of grace. Every time you pray, every time you pray in the Spirit, God strengthens your faith. He imparts to you grace and knowledge. And that's the reason why Hannah left the temple confident that God heard her prayer. She knew that the Lord heard her. Although she never made a noise. She was confident that the Holy Spirit, that God heard every word that her heart spoke. And the Holy Spirit also communicated this to Eli. And the priest says, go away confident, Hannah, for the Lord has heard your request. Look, look at the scene. Hannah comes to the temple. She's crushed. She's devastated. She pours her heart out before the Lord. She hasn't made one noise. She hasn't said one audible voice. But somehow, she leaves that temple confident that God has received her prayer. She's just moving her mouth. Ain't no words coming out. She looks like a drunk woman. But she's confident. She's confident. She goes from being a devastated and broken woman to a woman that is confident and has the assurance. You can just look at this scene and see how prayer has strengthened her faith. How prayer has fortified her. And how she has grown in grace and knowledge of the Lord. She's just two different people. They ain't the same people. This is not the same woman that walked in the temple. Totally different woman. Is she still devastated? No. Is she still heartbroken? No. The scripture says she went her way, she ate, and her face was no longer sad. Because she grew in grace and knowledge of the Lord through prayer. She advanced. She progressed. She didn't lose her stability. Remember 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. We grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord so that we don't lose our stability or be carried away by lawless people. If we don't grow in grace, if we don't grow in knowledge, we lose our stability because of lawless people. Peninnah was a threat to Hannah's spiritual life. Every day she harassed Hannah. But through prayer, which is a means of God's grace, Hannah grew in grace and she grew in knowledge and she did not lose her stability. You can't look at this text and not come away with the fact that prayer is an essential part of the Christian life. It's an essential part to the Christian's life. It's a means of grace. God keeps us from losing our stability. How does he do that? By strengthening, by fortifying, by growing. Prayer, scripture, and the Lord's Supper and baptism, these things are essential not just to your faith, but to your perseverance in the faith. 
without prayer, without scripture, without the Lord's Supper and baptism, you will either stay in the middle or you'll fall backwards. And they are both equally devastating. The scripture gives several warnings for those who do not advance in grace and knowledge. Read Hebrews chapter 6. There is a threat of falling away from those who do not have sincere faith. Oh, that'll never happen to me. Don't you dare call the Lord's bluff. If you don't pray, if you don't sit under the teaching of Scripture or the reading of Scripture, if you refuse the sacraments, you're not going to go anywhere in your faith. You're not going to go anywhere. You will lose your stability. Lawless men will come around and you will fall into false teaching. You will fall into error. And all of a sudden you have lost your place. Because true faith is sincere faith. And sincere faith is per persevering faith. And persevering faith is strong faith. And strong faith endures. Prayer is one of the disciplines that God gives to us. And it's because of his grace. And he gives us this grace so that we can grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Prayer is, is a spiritual discourse between you and the Lord. It's not merely recitation of words. It's not an exercise in therapeutic self-analysis. It's acknowledging that your life is under the watchful care of God. And that since God cares about you, he wants to hear from us. He wants to hear from us uh, from our faith. He wants to us to express to him the things that only he can bear. He wants us to express the things that he truly desires to hear. He wants us to know that he truly understands that he will act upon and he will fulfill. Again, think of Hannah. She knew God knew she was barren. She knew that. She knew that God knew of Peninnah's harassment. She knew God was not unaware of these things. So her prayer to God wasn't filling him in on what has been taking place in her life, right? She's not letting the Lord know what's going on in case he doesn't know, in case he's been away for a while. She tells the Lord all these things, not because he, he hasn't been around, but because she knows he's able to bear them. She knows God is able to understand her pain. She knows that God is able and willing to do something about it and that God loves her enough to fulfill her request. That's why she prays. She's not treating the Lord as a genie in a bottle. She's not treating him as a slot machine. She clearly believes in, her, in his sovereignty. She believes in his goodness. She trusts the Lord. If she didn't trust the Lord, 
How else would you explain her going home and having sex with her husband? Think about that. Hannah's had sex with Elkanah, her husband, plenty of times. None of it's worked. Not once in the past when Hannah had sex with her husband did she ever get pregnant by him. Not work. It's never worked just once. Oh, for whatever. But <laughs> she is so confident that the Lord loves her and will fulfill her request, that he understands, that he's able to bear it, that he is strong and powerful, that he can do more than she can even ask or think of him, that she goes home and has sex with him again. She didn't try anything crazy. She didn't go home and try to steal one of Peninnah's children and make it her own. She didn't go out and per- prostitute herself with another man in hopes that maybe he would get her pregnant. She didn't go marry another man. No. She trusted in the Lord. She continued to live a righteous life. She went home. She had sex with her husband because that's the righteous way to have children. And she waited. The scripture says in verse 20, and in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. She made her request known to God. She was patient for the Lord's answer and she continued to live a holy life. She didn't try anything extraordinary. She didn't try anything sinful. That's, that's how much she trusted the Lord. That's the confidence that she had. She did something that she knew previously never worked out for her. She's barren. She's had sex with her husband plenty of times. It's never worked out for her. But after praying to the Lord, no longer was she the doubting woman. No longer was she the bitter woman Oh, no. She was changed. She grew in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. And that's what prayer does for us. It strengthens our faith. God imparts to us grace and knowledge and strength and endurance and perseverance. All that good stuff that we don't like, but man, it's so good for us. And her patience pays off. She eventually conceives. She carries a son. Her prayer has been answered. So after she prayed, she, she trusted God and she just led the obedient life. She did nothing extraordinary. I do want to say this about Hannah and other women like Sarah and Elizabeth. You know, the women in scripture that are barren. And, uh, and they pray to God to have a child and they, uh, and they have children. These, these women are not examples for all barren women. Hannah isn't an example for all barren women that if they pray hard enough, God will give them a son. That is, that is not the model. That is not what this text is an example of. We shouldn't abuse the story. Well, first of all, Sarah and Elizabeth, uh, they were past the age of childbearing. 
They were old women. They were in their 80s and 90s. Hannah, we don't know how old she is, but I'm assuming she's not 80 or 90. I'm assuming she's still able, physically able, to have children, um, you know, as far as age-wise, that there's that's not affecting it. Hannah is not an example that for all barren women out there that if you all just pray hard, God will grant to you a son, a child. No, she's not an example of that. But this is what Hannah is an example of. That we are encouraged to seek the Lord in prayer because he can do far more abundantly than we than anything we can ask or think. That's what she is an example of. That we are to seek the Lord in prayer. And when we do that, God will do more abundantly than we ask or think. And that more abundantly that we ask or think is always in growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. It's advancing the Christian faith. It's the strengthening of our faith so that we don't lose our stability, so that we are not carried away by false things. And Hannah certainly believed that. Hannah certainly believed that God could do far more than what she could ever ask or think. And that's why she made that vow of, Lord, I'll give my son to you for the rest of his, the rest of our, his life. That's the reason why she made that vow. Because not only did she know that God could give her a son, but that the son that God could give her would be a remarkable one. Listen to James chapter one, verses five through seven. James says, God gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Jesus says something very similar in Matthew 21, 20. He says, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Now, the Lord isn't implying that God has loose restrictions when it comes to answering prayer. And he acts like Oprah, you know. Oh, you get a car and you get a car. Whatever you want, I'm going to give you. That is, that is not what Jesus is saying. That is not what James is saying. God is not irresponsible when he responds to our prayers. Jesus, when he says, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. He means that our request of God should be bridled by our faith. We should be controlled when we pray. We should not pray according to our sinful impulses. But we should pray according to God's goodness and what he's willing to do and what he has shown that he's able to do in scripture. When Jesus says, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith, he means that we should be bridled with our request. We shouldn't treat God as some kind of genie. No, we should be controlled. And when Hannah prays to God for her son, she is bridled by her faith. She didn't believe God would be irresponsible in answering her prayer. She prayed in faith. Her faith governed the way she prayed. 
And we must be mindful of our sinful impulses when we pray because we're sinners and we have the uh, propensity to, to ask of things according to our sinful pleasures and not according to God's will. We shouldn't be loose with our request. God only answers the prayers of those who make their request in faith, who make their request in agreement with God's nature and his goodness. We have to understand that God is not loose, that he is not careless when he answers our prayer. Therefore, we should not be loose and careless when we make our request. I believe that Christians should only request things from God that are justifiably, that can be justifiable according to God's will and pleasure. The things that we crave, the things that, that we desire, are they justifiable according to God's good will and pleasure? Or are they according to our sinful desires? When we make an offering up to God in our prayer, we must do so uh, for things that are agreeable to his will. John Bunyan, the, the great Puritan preacher and the author of The Pilgrim's Progress, wrote, When thou prayest, rather let thy hearts be without words than thy words without a heart. When thou prayest, rather let thy heart be without words than thy words without a heart. And he got that from Hannah. 